Welcome to episode 97 of the 2QB Experience Podcast. My name is Greg Smith and I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter over at Greg Sauce. And on the line with me, uh, second time on the show, Anthony Staggs of Pyromaniac.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Pyrostag. Anthony, welcome back, man. It's good to have you. Yeah, uh, we get a much different show this time around. Uh, it's not the big picture. We get to focus on the minuscule little details of you know, a week to week, and it's just so different and a totally different topic. Yeah, we were just talking a little bit before we started recording about, um, you know, kind of our week to week, you know, fantasy output, I guess, like what, what we're playing for the most part. And I'm curious as to what you do with best ball this time of the year. Do you actually check your scores or do you wait until later in the year? Is there anything that you do in season to kind of improve your best ball processes for like the following year? Yeah, so with, with best ball, I'm always I'm not checking every week, but I do like a quarterly checkup, like uh, like I do on my business portfolio, I guess. So I'm checking once a month, you know, seeing where I'm at, uh, and then just sort of checking what sort of builds did well there, um, and then how how can I improve? Also, you know, checking whether it was the early drafts or the late drafts that I was best in, and then maybe next year deciding that I'm not going to draft after. You know, July 1st, when a lot more people get involved and then a lot more people are using the same information and, and the edge just isn't as strong. So you've you found that sort of correlation before, but um, what did you find in terms of like your player management, I guess, in this in your first quarterly checkup? Did you see some strategies that work better than others? Yeah, I, I think when I went, um, you know, late, you know, when, when I was drafting late in the first round, when I wasn't jumping on those um, wide receivers and I was still sort of hammering the second tier of running backs, the guys like Kamara, Barkley, and Gordon, you know, I, I was doing real well because then I could, you know, double back with the second uh, wide receiver there. And those are the guys who seem to be doing well um, so far. Uh, and, and then I could sort of hammer wide receiver late because uh, – there's just so many wide receivers that are doing well and putting up big scores on a weekly basis uh, that that you can get a little bit uh, of a lineup diversity just by having a number of different guys play for you on a different week at wide receiver. Do you worry that next season the early round running back problem is going to become even bigger and that it's just like all the drafts are going to look the same where the first round is pretty much all running backs, second round is you know, mostly running backs with some elite wide receivers mixed in. And, and I, I guess I'm asking you to predict how you think this season is going to shape next year. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do think it's going to be a very RB heavy, RB centric first round because we should have a lot more clarity on some of these positions. You know, the guys you're regretting taking in the first round, um, you know, Le'Veon Bell, that should be an issue that's completely, you know, uh, cured. And then you'll have potentially the guy he, uh, who replaces him, you know, and, and James Conner, who's playing like a potential first-round pick. So there's going to be a lot of clarity in running back situations. There shouldn't be any of these big-name running backs who are holding out. We've already seen David Johnson sign a long-term deal. We've seen Todd Gurley sign a long-term deal. Uh, so the clarity there looks pretty good, uh, and hopefully there's none of these you know, suspensions that take a guy like Mark Ingram out for the first four games. That, that push Alvin Kamara up even more to where he was maybe more of just a mid-first-round pick than a solid, you know, number-five selection. 
What do you think is going to happen to that Saints backfield going forward? Like, are you projecting Kamara to still be kind of a league-winning type running back, or do you think that Mark Ingram is going to cut into his workload too much? It's not that it's going to cut into his workload. I, I do think Alvin Kamara is going to be uh, a back on a lot of championship rosters. Uh, this isn't the time to bail on him, especially now if you've already stuck with him through the bye week. Uh, last week sort of was just a maintenance week. They got up big. Uh, and then they were able to take it a little bit easier on him. He was on the injury report all all week with a knee injury. So you, knowing you have the bye week and you can play it a little safer and ride Mark Ingram a, after giving you know nearly 20, 25 touches uh, a week to Alvin Kamara, it was just a smart play. But I, I got flack on Twitter for saying Alvin Kamara is their best slot receiver. Um, <laughs> like. The eyes and the attention he brings uh, from a defensive standpoint is going to open up huge holes uh, in the secondary for either, you know, guys like Traquan Smith, Ted Ging, and Michael Thomas. So even if he's not, you know, touching the ball as much, his impact on the Saints offense is going to be huge. Uh, and that's an offense that's going to score points here down the stretch. So it's something I'm excited uh, to watch as the season goes on. But I do think there is a slight downtick. But, hey, if you're downticking from 25 PPR points to 20 PPR points a game, I, I don't think you should cry to anybody about it. Yeah, I mean, last season they were both very, very fantasy relevant. I think they both finished top 10 over the course of the year, right? So we can expect that sort of usage to be implemented again this year. And if anything, Kamara is probably going to bite off a little bit more of that piece of pie in 2018 just because of what he has shown us to this point. Let's steer back towards QBs a little bit, and we're going to get to the Week 6 recap here. And before we get into that, I kind of want to, I guess, pose another question about that Saints offense. Now, we both are in on Kamara and Ingram as both being usable. Do you think that that is going to make Drew Brees go back to the player he was last year, where maybe they were running it more around the goal line, not throwing as many TD passes? Are you concerned about him maybe not living up to the same expectations that the first few weeks of the season set? Yeah, I am a little bit more worried about Drew Brees than I am about Alvin Kamara. Um, one of the things Alvin Kamara did real well uh, was run near the red zone and run near red zone plays. Uh, the same thing with Mark Ingram. They're both very effective goal line rushers. So I just don't know if these uh, plays are going to shake out near the red zone where they're passing as much. Uh, but Drew Brees still has the shot play. Uh, they love to call you know an under center play action play. Uh, with shots to Ted Ginn or Con Smith now. Uh, and those have worked out for Drew Brees for as long as I can remember playing fantasy football. So while he might not be a locked-in top three option on a weekly basis that he was early in the season, I think he's right in the seven to eight QB range, um, you know, right on the end of borderline top ten. Um, but, you know, with quarterback scoring right now, a 252 touchdown game is like just outside of a top 12 week most weeks. And we know we're not going to get anything as a rusher. So there are some overall, you know, fantasy point concerns. Yeah. It seems like every good to decent quarterback now is a borderline top 10 quarterback. It just depends on how that week sort of shakes out. And another one of those guys is Carson Wentz. And, Looking ahead to week six, he's one of, I think, the more interesting guys to kind of consider because 
at this point, he's now 14th in points per game at quarterback. Uh, but if we take out his first week back, you know, that one where he's coming back from injury, his points per game jumps up from 19.4 to 22.1, which would rank sixth behind Mahomes, Matt Ryan, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Drew Brees, and Cam Newton. So Wentz has been good for three weeks in a row. Um, what did you see from him in week six? And do you, would you say that Carson Wentz is officially, you know, back, quote unquote? Yeah, I do think Carson Wentz is back, and a lot of it has to do with the health of the people around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, early in the season, you know, you had no Alshon Jeffrey, and that elevated Nelson Aguilar to you know a wide receiver one role, in which he's not really suited. Uh, they ended up losing Mike Wallace early in the season, and then uh, you know Mac Hollins was gone early in the preseason, so they were a lot thinner at wide receiver than they looked. Uh, you know, going into the season, it sort of just piled up on him in a hurry. But now that you get Alshon Jeffrey back, it, it knocks Nelson Aguilar down to a big play slot receiver. Uh, then, you know, Zach Ertz is operating as uh, a big play wide receiver himself and as a chain mover and possession receiver. So they're moving the ball really well uh, on offense with Zach Ertz as sort of the focal point, And then they're using Alshon Jeffrey as the downfield vertical threat. Um, just using his go up and get it ability in order to beat defenses. And then that's also increasing his, you know, viability. And then you look at what happened in the run game with the injury to JHI, uh, and you don't have a real dedicated thumper back there. You've got, uh, Wendell Smallwood and, uh, Corey Clement playing complementary roles. And those guys might be best as either change of pace uh, backs or third down backs in the NFL going forward. Uh, but that just increases what Carson Wentz can do because their ability as pass catchers uh, also brings a, a nice viability on a weekly basis. Yeah, I love the fact that those two running backs have kind of forced them to be, you know, a modern spread offense all the time, essentially. Like they, they have that pass receiving threat out of the backfield on every play when those guys are in there. It's pretty cool. What else stood out to you big picture in week six? Uh, I think it was the return of Jameis Winston uh, because we hadn't really seen uh, Winston with a week of game planning with Todd Mokin, uh, their offensive coordinator who's now calling plays this year. And we know Jameis Winston has a big arm and likes to push the ball down the field. But now you have a complimentary coach that that's what he wants to do. Um you know, talking about explosive plays, uh, they're among the best in the league, and that's something he really emphasizes. He doesn't care about the three to four yard gains. He'd rather push the ball down the field, and they have the weapons to do that. Uh, you look at Mike Evans, uh, you look at Chris Godwin, who can get down the field. You know, Deshaun Jackson's one of the best, uh, vertical speed threat wide receivers of this generation. And then you look at OJ Howard, who has an insane, uh, yards per reception for a tight end. And there, this offense is just suited to put pressure on you vertically, and you have to defend, you know, 50, 60 yards down the field at all times because Jameis Winston will put it into tight windows and will give his guys opportunities, even when, you know, he probably shouldn't. Um, so for the Tampa Bay offense, I, I think it's all coming together, and they've been one of the better offensive teams so far this year. And with their defense, I think that's something that's got to continue. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mentioned that 
Ryan Fitzpatrick was still like third in the NFL in fantasy points per game at the quarterback position. So drop in the huge number that Jameis just put up in week six, and you can tell that it's it's not even necessarily just him. It's that whole offense. Like you said, all those different weapons really, really boost his game. I want to talk about the um, the Trubisky versus Brock Osweiler match that we had. Uh, that actually ended up being a really good game uh, relative to my expectations, at least clo- a close game or a competitive game. I was really expecting Miami to do nothing against the Bears defense, but you know Khalil Mack got hurt, and that kind of changed things to some extent. But um, I-, I saw this stat on NFL.com that 268 of Miami's 380 passing yards came after the catch there's no way that's sustainable, right? Like we have to, whether it's Ryan Tannehill or Brock Osweiler, I know that Miami's kind of been doing it like this all season, but you can't necessarily count on that from game to game. Can we? I mean, it's starting to look like a scheme fit and a scheme choice. Uh, so they sign Albert Wilson, they start playing Jakeen Grant and they really, you know, phase out Devonte Parker, who's been uh, healthy and active uh, over the last couple weeks as opposed to, uh, unhealthy and active. So, you know, they're really going with these guys who can get it done after the catch. And when you get, got a guy like Ryan Tannehill when healthy, who doesn't really stretch a defense vertically is more of a horizontal passer, uh, and, you know, you've got Kenny Stills who could still be the vertical threat in the offense. Uh, they're designing screens to both sides. Um, they're moving around their wide receivers and putting them in good position and just, you know, running those drags uh, that are getting these guys open. So the scheme looks built around yards after catch for these wide receivers. Uh, and even when you look at Kenyon Drake, that's something, you know, he excels at, even though they haven't been using him a ton or reliably on a week-to-week basis. So I do think it is somewhat sustainable, but right now I think Albert Wilson leads the league in yards after the catch per reception, and Jakeem Grant is third or fourth on the list. Uh, So that is something I expect to fall back a little bit. But those are two guys who are very talented with the ball in their hands and have you know speed to burn. Do you think this is indicative of the QBs that they have? Like, you look at Mahomes with the Chiefs and the and the great season that he's having is well documented at this point, but the fact that the Dolphins have been able to win games with Ryan Tannehill and Brock Osweiler, kind of based largely on these yards after the catch concepts, is that like is that a, a good direction for teams with a bad quarterback to go? Like, I feel like, uh, you know, C.J. Beathard and the Niners are, are looking to do a lot of this sort of stuff, too. Is this a a trend that's going to kind of sweep league-wide if it hasn't already? I mean, I definitely think it should because the efficiency of it uh, just works when you don't have a quarterback who's going to, you know, be top half of the league in average depth of target. What you want to do is you want him to play point guard. You want him to get the ball out to his wide receivers as quick as possible and just let them do their thing uh, because they might not be the most polished route runners, but with the ball in their hands, they're just dangerous. Yeah, let's flip to the other side of this game in Mitchell Trubisky. If I had started him over Andy Dalton in Scott Fishbowl, I, I would have won easily, but now I'm counting on George Kittle getting, I think, 13 points or something like that, which is possible. I'm not out of it yet, but um, uh, I, I, was really, I wasn't expecting a big game from Trubisky. Like I had you know, some respect for the Dolphins' defense, and so we can talk about that later, but um, do you think Trubisky is turning the corner and learning Matt Nagy's offense 
Or do you think this is just another one of those games where, you know, he kind of got lucky on certain throws and whatnot? Because I thought it was a little damning how they wouldn't really let him throw in the overtime period. Like, once they got to overtime, they just ran and ran and ran and settled for that field goal. I I think if they had confidence in him and his abilities, they would have let him keep doing what he had been doing to that point in the game, right? Am I crazy? Uh, Yes and no. But uh, Matt Nagy sort of went against his aggressive nature and got very conservative, but we've got to remember, you know, a game early in the season uh, against the Packers where they're looking to pass the ball rather than run the ball, and then they get yelled at by the whole town when it doesn't work. <laughs> so, Fair. you know, there's it's been a mixed bag for them. He, he One game he stayed aggressive this time. He got a little bit more conservative, and both have sort of, sort of failed, so everybody with their hindsight analysis – analysis is just busting the chops but uh Trubisky's still a, a mixed bag work in progress um you know there's some throws early in the game that he just has to make to wide open receivers but Nagy is you know scheming up a great game plan where there are receivers running open vertically making throws easy for Mitch Trubisky um and then they're using you know rub routes and bunch formations uh, t- you know, towards the goal line in order to create touchdown opportunities. Uh, and, you know, T- Terry Cohen's been their sort of jack of all trades over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and it's really been to the, the damnation of Jordan Howard owners. So it- it's been a mixed bag, but I, I don't think Trubisky's going to be on the pace. Uh, you know, you talk about his pace and people were comparing him um to you know Deshaun Watson and you know saying oh you guys wrote him off too early but you know he's completing over 70% of his passes so far this season and he's on pace for over 4000 passing yards and 35 touchdowns uh and, and then he's adding a lot as a rusher as well uh on a 500 yard pace there so you look at his you know 16 game pace and you see that Mitch Trubisky's on pace for over 300 fantasy points from the quarterback position uh and you're like I don't know about that something doesn't seem quite right here but you know there's still a lot of plays that are being left on the field yeah I mean I think that's what's appealing about him right as you can see that he we know that he's a young player and we know the young players make mistakes so if he's playing as well as he is to this point and still making those rookie type mistakes or second year quarterback type mistakes if he can sort of weed those out over the next two or three seasons like he really could become one of the better QBs in the league especially if the system is tailored towards him getting back to kind of what we were talking about with the the hindsight analysis my issue isn't that they ran it when they were supposed to pass him. My my issue is that he wasn't consistent with what he did earlier in the season it's like if you're gonna be aggressive in the first instance you should be aggressive in the second instance because that's going to make players second-guess themselves. It's going to, I don't know. Anyway, this is just kind of a personal diatribe. We don't have to go down this route. Let's talk about the Dolphins' defense because I'll admit I got a little excited about them in the early weeks of the season. I didn't really consider the context of them having faced the Titans, the Jets, and the Raiders. So at this point, after we've seen what's happened to them more recently, is the Dolphins' defense one that we can go back to attacking with quarterbacks and receivers in fantasy or do we still need to give them a healthy amount of respect as a D? I, I think it's half and half. Like, I think you have to respect Xavier Howard and whoever he's asked to shadow. But you also have to realize that he's not a guy who's going to follow into the slot. Um, so you can sort of pick and choose your spots. 
uh, with the receivers you want to play against them. Uh, and I, I think if you're looking for streaming options at the quarterback position, they'd have to be closer to the upper tier, the top half of the league, to play against Miami rather than the bottom half. Because even when we talk about, you know, um, how they're playing on defense, one of the things that they also do is they suck plays and they suck time of possession. Mm-hmm. So that's going to, you know, decrease the other offense's overall opportunity share. Uh, and that's a little bit more concerning maybe than what they're doing on a play to play basis. Yeah, the other defense that comes to mind when you bring that up, that kind of that slowing of the game is is Dallas. Are there any other teams that you've noticed go for that slower pace to try to, you know, kind of grind people down and maybe it's something we need to keep in the back of our minds when we're looking to stream QBs? Yeah, uh I think there's a bunch of teams like that. I think a lot of teams with either the mediocre quarterbacks, uh I, I think, you know, Derek Carr and the Oakland Raiders they haven't been doing it with their run game as much as their short passing game. Um, and, and then the Giants have had a few games here and there where they look to do that. Uh, I'd say those are probably your two most common. And, and then you're looking at you know Russell Wilson and how the Seattle run game has sort of gotten going over the last couple of weeks uh, as a team that's looking to keep their defense fresh. I like that you brought up Derek Carr and – you know, we saw him kind of break down physically and emotionally on Sunday. At this point as a franchise, what do you think is the right move for Oakland with regard to him as their, you know, franchise QB? And I guess what's the right move for Carr's owners in fantasy? Should they be looking to get rid of him, replace him? Because it, this seems like a pretty dark time for him. Yeah, I, I mean, with Derek Carr, I don't think there's a clear-cut answer. I don't think even, you know, John Gruden knows uh, what what the future holds for him, and you know, with, with a ten year contract, we don't know if this relationship is going to work out uh, with him and his franchise quarterback that's also being paid over a uh, hundred million dollars. So it, it is tough. I don't think it's suddenly going to end here at the end of the season. I think it's got to play out for at least two seasons. Um, but the more concerning part is you're talking about dealing a 24 year old wide receiver in Amari Cooper, who's had, you know, some pretty good seasons under his belt already. Uh, and you're talking about dealing him. So that leaves, you know, the weaponry, your best weapon, maybe a, you know, 32 year old Jordy Nelson after that. Um, so the weapons around him aren't looking as good as they did before. And when we talk about the weaponries around him, you got to include that offensive line uh, because Derek Carr is just a different quarterback under pressure. So when he was playing at his best, they had you know either the best or the second best offensive line in football. So if they can get back to something uh, building a juggernaut up front, I think they do have a lot more chances uh, to keep him healthy and to keep the proliferation of the offense going. But but without that and without the time and without the steadiness in the pocket, you know, Derek Carr is going to struggle. Yeah, and I think the real problem is that you could make that argument for a lot of different QBs, right? Not just Derek Carr. It's like, this guy is not very good, but if we put him behind a good offensive line and we put a good scheme in place, then this quarterback will find success. I, I don't think that's the way you win in the NFL, but um, I mean, I guess we'll see. It'll be interesting to see 
if the Raiders even consider cutting him, because I, I read somewhere uh, yesterday that they could save a lot of money by doing that, even though he has kind of a, a crazy large contract. But um, anyway, we got to get to our awards for the week. And before we do that, I do want to just as a quick two quarterback centric uh, note here, talk about uh, Nathan Peterman taking over for an injured Josh Allen uh, with an elbow injury. So I, I don't think there's really anything to see here. We can probably just move past this. Like there's not, you don't want to be using the Bills quarterback in fantasy, whether you're in a 2QB league or a 3QB league or whatever. So um, do you have anything on on the Bills, uh, or do you want to just get into uh, the boom and the bust of the week, Anthony? Uh, I think we can go into uh, Nathan Peterman and the fact that he still has negative fantasy points on the season. And <laughs> I want to tell you all you need to know. That'll do it. Um, so boom of the week. Which quarterback outperformed your expectations the most in week six? I mean, it's got to be Dak Prescott, and it's got to be the Dallas Cowboys as a whole. Uh, you know, the Clapper finally started <laughs> throwing out some wrinkles. Um, you know, their QB zone and their QB power game worked uh, to the tune of Dak Prescott rushing 11 times for 82 yards and a touchdown. And that's just something we really haven't seen uh, from Dak this season, and it had been limited opportunities um, in the four to five rushing range. And then that wasn't enough to push him over to being a high scoring quarterback because he wasn't scoring touchdowns, uh, you know, in the rush game. And, and then you add in, you know, two, uh, passing touchdowns. Dak Prescott definitely wins against this, you know, Jags, uh, defense that had been playing well, uh, you know, over the past season plus. But, you know, the weapons still aren't perfect for this team. Um, he's completing just 62% of his passes, which is a career low. Uh, his yards per attempt is still, you know, low and his overall number of volume of opportunities is pretty low, but he does look like he's going to be on pace to rush for uh, a career high in yardage and have the most, uh, rushing attempts in his career while still averaging a pretty solid six uh, yards per carry. Yeah, I think the one thing I want Jason Garrett to take away from that game, I, I agree, Prescott has to be the boom of the week. QB2, almost 30 fantasy points. The one thing I want Garrett to take away is that, as you mentioned, they don't really have a whole lot of playmakers on that team to the point where Dak Prescott is their second or best playmaker, you know, alongside Ezekiel Elliott. And when I was watching that game, what stood out to me is a lot of those plays that turn into big runs for Dak weren't designed as runs. They were designed as passes where he got out on the move and was able to manipulate the defense with, you know, the threat to throw and then take advantage of them with his, you know, skill in the running game. So please, Jason Garrett, just keep using Dak Prescott as a weapon. Stop trying to make him into, you know, the enabler of other weapons because you don't have the pieces to make that work. You know what I mean? And so I, I agree, Prescott's got to be the guy. I think we have to give an honorable mention to Brock Osweiler against the Bears. Uh, we kind of already talked about this game, but he was the QB6 with uh, 26 fantasy points. There was no way I saw that coming from Brock Osweiler. But I, I think Dak, as a, as a player that was rostered, as a player who people actually might have had to start, uh, I think that that really uh, was, was the big performance of the week. Um, one more kind of smaller honorable mention has to go to Case Keenum against the Rams. He ended up finishing as the QB 13. This is pending Monday night, of course, but he had about 19 and a half fantasy points. A lot of that was garbage time, though, and I think that's why he's not the boom of the week. Uh, let's go to the bust of the week. Which QB underperformed your expectations the most in week six? Uh, this this one was a little bit tougher. Uh, the scoring was pretty good. 
uh, all around. But it, if it's anybody, it's Marcus Mariota. Um, you know, besides the 11 sacks he took uh, against that, uh, you know, tough Baltimore Ravens team, it, it it's like the whole body of work now. In four of his five games, he's been held under 130 passing yards. Oof, oof. Um, so you're looking at this, and I think we talked about it in the offseason, that we expected a Matt LaFleur coach team to at least bring some productivity to this passing game, and it just hasn't happened. Um, and... You know, Marcus Mariota early in that game before he started getting blasted on what seemed like every single play and his offensive line just should have laid down on the ground because it probably would have blocked more people than what they did. Um, he missed a giant shot play to uh, Taewon Taylor, who, you know, had broken free on a post route. Um, and that's just something we haven't seen is these plays being left on the field by Marcus Mariota. Usually there's just... Uh, you know, a lack of plays, um, but but now it's starting to look a whole lot worse. Uh, you know, again after last season having more interceptions than touchdowns, that's a trend that's continuing so far this year, um, and, and it's just it's not good for a player that I believe has a lot of talent. So there has to be some sort of disconnect here. I want to ask you if he's droppable in two quarterback formats, but I, I mean, he's not. I mean, every start, starting quarterback in a two QB league should be owned, but I, I guess I kind of want to pivot it and, and put it to you like this. Where would you rank him rest of season or what quarterbacks would you, what's the, like the worst quarterback you would take back and trade for Mariota right now, just straight up? Like, because I have a hard time valuing him because I agree, like he's talented. He should be better than he is, it seems, but he just hasn't been. He's been so disappointing this year. And I think his owners have to be super frustrated. What What are you doing with Mariota? I mean, I probably wouldn't go to the Miami uh, quarterback situation. I wouldn't go to the Buffalo Bills quarterback situation. Uh, let's see here. Is there any others? Um, How about Sam Darnold? I, I might be going to Sam Darnold over... That, that's where I was sort of going to draw the line. <laughs> Donald was the guy I'd probably pivot to at this point because, uh, you know, the Jets are, are letting him take chances and they're letting him learn on the run. Um, you know, Oakland, like, do you go Derek Carr? Do you go Marcus Mariota? That's where it gets sort of tough for me. Um, cause, cause I think that's another situation where it's really close. But, you know, Derek Carr's at least gotten a giant volume of opportunities uh, to sort of take him to the next level. Um, you know, I'm definitely taking a shot on Baker over him. How, let me ask you this one. C.J. Beathard or Marcus Mariota at this point? You know what? It's crazy, but I think I would rather have Beathard. And it has a lot to do with the scheme around him. Like, that Kyle Shanahan offense is actually legitimate even for Beathard you know and and people talked a lot about Jimmy Garoppolo being in the second year with Kyle Shanahan I think that Beathard benefits from that as well he knows the scheme better now and I mean he's not great but he can make that offense work to some extent and Shanahan plays to his strengths you know as as a running threat um, and and with shorter you know passes and schemes I think that 
I, I'd just rather I'd rather be invested in the Niners offense than the Titans offense at this point. Does that make sense? No, I definitely agree. Yeah, it's it's scary, man. That's really crazy. Um, my bust of the week. Uh, I'm gonna throw out a couple, I guess, dishonorable mentions here first. And Andy Dalton uh, against the Steelers ended up as the QB 15. He had a little over 17 fantasy points, so it wasn't gonna kill you there. But I think a lot of folks had. Uh, you know, high expectations for him as a favorite in that game at home against the Steelers. Although I will admit that output didn't surprise me quite as much as much as it might have with others because we, I mean, uh, the Joe Goodbury clause of Andy Dalton against common opponents was in play. I think the Steelers defense is starting to come around to some extent now that Joe Hayden is back and healthy. So I don't think that Steelers defense is as much of a pushover as it used to be. Um, so with that in mind, I actually faded Andy Dalton a little bit in my uh, Game Flobotics article last week. Um, the, the two big names that kind of pop up for me were Deshaun Watson against Buffalo. He was the QB 27 with 5.3 points. I, I want to say that that's more disappointing than Jared Goff as the QB 24 with about seven and a half points, but we've seen Buffalo do this, right? Buffalo against Deshaun Watson, especially considering the state of the Texans offensive line, that was a matchup that you could have steered away from if you were a Watson owner and maybe had uh, someone else serviceable on your bench in a two quarterback format. But Goff, even going against Denver, I, I, I can understand like if Cooper Cup and Brandon Cooks were inactive for that game, you may be trying to move away off of Goff, um, you know, especially cold weather on the road at elevation, whatever. But I still expected him to perform well in that game, and he just didn't do it. He kind of got Todd Gurley more than anything else. Do you have anything yeah. to add on Goff or Watson? Yeah, Watson, uh, right now that scheme, you know, isn't, you know, giving us the opportunities we want. They've got a number of players. Uh, the addition of Kiki Kuti makes this, you know, a, a top 10 receiving core in the league when you look, you know, one through three. Uh, so they're deep and they've got, you know, diverse assets. And, you know, you had Lamar Miller back there, but you also, you know, have Alfred Blue, who are both, you know, adequate enough pass catchers out of the backfield. Um, there's just a lot. You look at the offensive line here and you're like, these guys are going to get him killed because he's just taking shot after shot. Uh, and getting bent back, but you know the fantasy output has been there, you know, on a week-to-week basis. The only thing is, uh, more of those interceptable passes that he threw this season and last season ha- have ended up as true interceptions um, rather than you know what they were last year was a lot of dropped interceptions, and we've seen that touchdown rate fall back to you know normal levels. Uh, but that's another thing that we looked at and thought could be expected. Yep. I I'm totally with you. I, and I mean, he had a lot of dropped interceptions last year and his interception rate was still pretty high. So this is something that maybe we should have seen coming in and maybe was indicative of how the Texans started last year with Tom Savage over him as the starter. And the only reason they went to Watson was, you know, I mean, based upon just how bad Savage was, but anyway, that's kind of, again, hindsight analysis doesn't really help us too much. Let's look ahead. Let's look to week seven, um, our preview for this week, and let's kick it off with uh, streamers of the week. Uh, who is your streamer of the week, Anthony? You're looking for a low-end QB2 or QB3 uh, type of quarterback who owners wouldn't always start, but you know this week is looking pretty good. Yeah, I, it's sort of tougher than you'd expect to get here, but I, I think it's got to be you know Blake Bortles. Um, 
you know, over his last three games, even despite putting up a stinker last week, uh, he's averaging 322 passing yards. On the season, he's at uh, over seven yards per attempt as a rusher. Uh, against this team last year, against the Texans, we're talking about uh, four touchdowns against no interceptions. Uh, he's got a career high in completion percentage. The the weapons on the outside, you know, are diverse between Westbrook and Cole and Moncrief and Shark. Uh, they've got a number of players who can make plays down the field and after the catch. Um, so I think if Blake can get the ball out of his hands quick, the receivers are going to be able to do a lot of damage against this Houston secondary. But, you know, if Blake goes into the mode of trying to hold the ball too long, that's when things can become scary. Um, but, you know, without, well, I, I guess Leonard Fournette is more unlikely to play than likely, uh, at this time, but that might be better for Blake Bortles. They seem to call a more aggressive offense. Uh, Yeldon is multidimensional, catching over four passes a game, nearly nine yards a catch. Uh, and they're scheming him open the red zone. He's already got three receiving touchdowns this season. So, you know, Blake Bortles is the guy I'd be reaching for uh, if he's on my roster. Yeah, I, he was on my list. I think there are actually a lot of intriguing options for this in Week 7. Um, I'll throw out a couple more names here. Uh, Eli Manning at Atlanta. Uh, the Falcons have given up the second most points per game to fantasy QBs. Um, over 83% of their games have been top 10 finishes, so basically all but one. Um, and all of those top 10 finishes, obviously, are also top 20 finishes. Uh, the average weekly finish against Atlanta is 8.8. .8, so, yeah, you're basically getting a top 10 uh, quarterback finish every week. Now, Eli Manning is bad enough to really test that. We'll see how he does. Um, <laughs> any thoughts on Manning uh, going to Atlanta? I do like the uh, output potential of Eli Manning, especially with what seems to be tumultuous times. Uh, for the Giants, uh, you know, the talk between Odell on the sideline and uh, Odell in the media has been rampant recently. Mm -hmm. So I think this is an opportunity for them to put up a lot of points uh, and maybe ease some of the doubts. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, we did get to see them in an island primetime game last week, and we're going to get to see it again this week uh, on the road as well. So it, it does leave a lot to be desired, and a lot of eyes are going to be on Eli Manning. But um, right now, with just how beat up the Falcons' defense is, that it's hard to completely write him off, especially in two QB leagues. Um, I look for him to play pretty well, and I also think he might get a boost, while fantasy owners might not get a boost, uh, from a return of Evan Ingram, who seemed pretty close to playing last week. Um, you know, it's going to be hard to wait around for him on Monday night unless you happen to be the uh, Austin Hooper owner. But that, that's just another weapon that, you know, should play pretty well against the Falcons. Uh, Sands, you know, Deion Jones and Sands, uh, Keanu Neal. Another guy who jumps out at me is Joe Flacco at home against New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans has allowed two of five top 10 finishes. Um, those are the only top 20 finishes they've allowed, though. Their average weekly finish against is 14.0, but they've allowed the third most points per game to quarterbacks. That's a misleading stat because it's based on two weeks of 40 plus points allowed 
And in every other week, the Saints have held opposing quarterbacks to under 15 fantasy points and held those QBs outside of the top 20 at the position. So I'm curious as to which version of the Saints defense we're going to see here. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on the Saints versus Joe Flacco? Uh, So Joe Flacco, I I do have some concerns. You know, the Saints coming off a bye week with a lot of time to prepare here. Uh, They'll be looking at... You know, the Ravens team, that's playing pretty well. Uh, nobody's really looking into them as a true, you know, playoff contender, but they do stand at four and two right now. Uh, they've got the ninth best offense in the league. Um, you know, what the Saints have allowed, uh, on the back end is a lot of vertical stretch plays down the field. And a lot of people have gotten behind that secondary, which lines up good for Joe Flacco, uh, and his probably top weapon, John Brown. So I do see that, you know, working out fairly well, but I also do have some concerns if the Saints really do go with a pass heavier uh, or a pass uh, lighter offense and focus more on the run game, sapping some plays and playing more like last year might allow this defense to play, you know, a, a little more aggressively and try and turn the ball over. Yeah, the game script interplay there between the Saints offense and the Saints defense is is really interesting. Um, A couple more, and these will probably be my two prime candidates for streamer of the week. Um, The first is Mitchell Trubisky. We've talked a fair amount about him so far, so I won't go into detail here. He's going up against uh, the Patriots at home. Uh, The Pats have allowed the 10th most points per game to QBs. Uh, Half of their games against have produced top 10 QBs. Uh, Two-thirds of them have produced top 20 QBs. Average weekly finish of 12.8. So there's a lot to like here. Uh, I think that maybe, if you believe in this sort of thing, that Miami game for Chicago might have been a quote-unquote trap game where what they were really worried about was this matchup against New England. So we might get to see Chicago's best in Week 7, and and that'll be interesting. Um, but the guy I'm going to throw out yet again as my streamer of the week and I mean, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times, shame on me. I, 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 a lot of shame in all the Baker Mayfield love I've thrown out. But um, he's at Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is a lot of the most points per game to quarterbacks. Uh, 80% top 10 rate, 100% top 20 rate. So literally every time you start a quarterback against Tampa this season, they've produced a top 20 guy. Uh, 6.8 average weekly finish. So better than QB7 on average against this defense. Baker has to put it together this week, right? Right? I mean, I definitely agree with you. If we can, you know, jump ahead a little bit, I think, you know, Baker Mayfield is, uh, when I look at my bold prediction, Baker Mayfield is part of that bold prediction. Throw it out there. Um, Let's go. So my bold prediction is Baker Mayfield outscores Jameis Winston in week seven. Um, And when you're looking at why in the huge game that, uh, Jameis Winston just had and how fantasy owners are happy to play him and, and it's against Cleveland and all that. Uh, Baker Mayfield's averaging a really hefty A dot. He's pushing the ball vertically down the field. Uh, Tampa Bay, you talk about an average finish of 6.8. They're allowing 10 fantasy points more than what a defense allows to an average uh, quarterback. Wow. So, you know, think about what Baker Mayfield's doing now. Um, and they had 10 points to that, and that's probably what you can expect here uh, against Tampa Bay. His receivers are averaging an absurd uh, 8.2% drop rate, which is nearly double the league average. Um, 
and he's you know had a pretty decent floor here, uh, at least 238 passing yards in every start this season, and at least one touchdown in every game. Tampa Bay has just one interception in uh, the five games that they played so far. So while Baker Mayfield has been turnover prone here, this is actually one of the teams that's unlikelier to uh, be able to create a turnover. And you look at it, they're averaging 16, t- or not averaging, 16 touchdown passes to just one interception on the season. That's a pretty good touchdown to interception ratio. So I like all the Baker Mayfields this week. Nice, yeah. I mean, I think the case against him is, I mean, you look at his week per, week six performance, and it wasn't very inspiring. I mean, he had decent to good field position for most of that game against the Chargers, struggled with some overthrows, took a lot of sacks. The team was already a little shorthanded at wide receiver, then lost Rod Streeter. I don't know if losing Rod Streeter really matters, but there's something to be said about that. You know, maybe the fact that maybe they had game planned a little bit to use Streeter. I I, I I'm not going to read too much in that, but the real thing that worries me about this Browns offense is just the coaching and the play calling and the scheme. And like there was, a, I remember a fourth and two play in that game where Mayfield was just not set up to do what he does well. Like they didn't put him on the move. They didn't give him the option to run for the first down. It was basically just like a simple drop back. And of course, you know, he, he got tied up in the pocket and got sacked and, I don't know. That's, I think, the the big cloud that's hanging over him at all times. But with that said, this is the matchup to exploit. Going against the Bucks, like you said, there's so many factors that, you know, produce fantasy points against this defense. You you really have to like Mayfield, kind of regardless of what we've seen so far. Um, let's go the other way. Let's talk about guys we want to avoid. Who is your clipboard holder of the week, Anthony? My clipboard holder of the week uh, that's a little bit more difficult, but I think it's got to be, um, you know, Deshaun Watson. Correct. I'm, <laughs> I'm probably still going to end up starting him uh, in two QB leagues. It just happens uh, just because of his, you know, touchdown upside. Uh, but what we saw last week, um, you know, uh, against the Bills, and, and then you look at what they have coming up here, uh in terms of week seven, you know, you get the Jaguars on the road. Um, you know, his success against the Jaguars came when they didn't really have any time to game plan for him in week one uh, of last year. And, you know, they just haven't seen much of each other. He spent a lot of the time uh, last year, in both those matchups uh, on the sidelines, literally holding the clipboard. And I think the Jags at home, um, after getting embarrassed by Dallas and you know Jalen Ramsey's press conference, uh, I think that's going to lead to some inspired defensive play. Uh, and when they can you know get pressure on the passer, it's going to be you know pretty dangerous. Um, you know, in each of the last two games that Houston's played, they've scored just seven points against it uh, against this defense, but. You know, it hasn't been Deshaun Watson with a dedicated game plan. So um, it's interesting. I probably won't end up sitting him in two QB leagues, but definitely in in one, I'm looking away from Deshaun Watson. Yeah, he was my choice as well. Even with that bad performance the Jags just put up against the Cowboys, they've still only allowed the, the 27th most points per game to QBs. 
Uh, average weekly finish against them is 18.5. So uh, I think that he has to be the answer. I'm curious to see if Calais Campbell is going to play for Jacksonville. He got a little dinged up uh, in that game against the Cowboys. If he can't go, um, maybe that negatively impacts the Jaguars' pass rush a little bit, and that gives a little bit more hope for Watson owners. Um, a couple other names I'll throw out just as possibilities. Uh, the first is Andrew Luck. Uh, he's going against that Buffalo defense that just snuffed out Watson. I'm I'm a lot less worried about Luck than I would be about Watson against that defense, even though Buffalo's, uh, you know, a lot of even lower points per game, uh, 30th most in the NFL, uh, and an average finish of 19.3 against them. Luck just seems so insulated by that passing volume that they have. Like, all they do is throw. And so I think that he'll probably be fine, but I think you could consider benching him there if you have a couple other you know, pretty good options. Um, another one I'm going to throw out, and this is another kind of just like throwaway answer, but we have to discuss Drew Brees as a potential candidate to bench because he's on the road at Baltimore. Baltimore has been the second best defense against quarterbacks, uh, 31st most points per game against them, average weekly finish of 21.7. With that said, the best quarterbacks that Baltimore has faced so far are Ben Roethlisberger and Andy Dalton. And those are both common opponents. So it's a little easier for them to scheme against them. The big question is, are we going to get road breeze? Are we going to get that, you know, drew breeze performance where he struggles because he's not in the dome? Uh, What do you think about his chances uh, in week seven? Yeah. Drew breeze is an interesting uh, sort of, you know, player to watch here. And I do think if there's an interesting game or game to watch this week, it is the New Orleans Saints against the Baltimore Ravens. Um, you know, after getting 11 sacks uh, on Marcus Mariota last week, uh, the Ravens have just been having their way with opposing quarterbacks so far this season. Uh, and, you know, just 12.2 fantasy points a game, you know, as nearly as many um, interceptions as touchdowns uh, allowed. And you know, just over you know, 220 yards passing a game allowed. So if, if the uh, Saints start to skew more towards the running backs and skew more towards the run game, and the overall volumes affected, uh, I, I do have some worries, especially now with Jimmy Smith back uh, mm-hmm. in in that backfield. I do think they have a, a guy who can match up physically with Michael Thomas. Um, so it, it just creates a lot of matchup problems for them. And I am a little bit concerned about Drew Brees overall performance in this one. Baltimore's defense has just been playing, uh, out of their minds. Um, and yeah, they're just pushing people around right now. The other name I want to throw out, and this is kind of cheating as well, because I don't think you should have to rely on this type of player. But with that said, there is one league where I think a Roethlisberger buy is going to force me to start Case Keenum at Arizona. And the Cardinals have allowed the 26 most points per game to fantasy QBs. Uh, Average weekly finish against them is QB 18.0. My concern with Keenum here is that he could be replaced mid-game by Chad Kelly. This could be the same sort of you know, Thursday night treatment that Tyrod Taylor got, you know, with kind of that fake buy coming up after a Thursday night game, maybe they bring in Chad Kelly. And if he does okay, there in Denver, or I guess for Denver in Arizona, maybe that's a situation where because they have the extended practice time for week eight, they'll continue to roll with Kelly. And so I'm, I'm hoping that's not in the back of the minds of the coaches in Denver. Uh, I hope that Keenum can, you know, play this whole game and do well. Cause 
you know, Arizona, while they have been somewhat stingy against quarterbacks, that has a lot to do with the fact that they've been pretty easy to run on. So maybe Keenum can end up in a game script where he, he isn't asked to do too much and he can kind of hold serve there and at least hold that job for another week. But what do you think about him and that situation at quarterback in Denver? Do you think that he's going to hold on to that gig all season? Uh, that's one of the toughest gigs to uh, look forward at. I do think Chad Kelly is going to get a chance here at some se- at some point this season because they just don't have a spark. Um, you know, signing Keenum, they thought they might get that, uh, but it just hasn't you know come to fruition. Uh, that offensive line is even weaker now, losing Ron Leary for the season with a torn Achilles, uh, and Arizona is averaging three sacks a game against the quarterback. So uh, I do think there is a chance for Case Keenum to be hurried. And, you know, he was great under pressure last year, but it's not something he's excelling at so far this year. Uh, and that's worrisome. Um, you know, he has been good enough to support his other weapons, though. Uh, Demarius Thomas has, you know, had a couple good fantasy games. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders is, a you know, locked in top 20 wide receiver uh, for the remainder of the season. Um, and, and then the run back, running backs have all done well when it called upon. Um, I, I do think there is a chance that because of the ineptitude of the Cardinals offense uh, and a potential success point for the um, Denver Broncos on the ground that they might not have the opportunity where they're chasing points and, and feel like they need to make a switch. Yep, no, you and I are seeing eye to eye there. Um, but yeah, I, I think big picture here, Deshaun Watson has to be the the consensus clipboard holder of the week. He was your pick and my pick. I just wanted to throw some other names out there. Um, I want to get to what else you're looking forward to this week, but uh, because we jumped ahead to your bold prediction, we'll jump ahead to mine. Uh, and I'm going to touch on a guy that you mentioned, uh, Kiki Cutie, or QT. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm going to say that he's a top 10 wide receiver this week. And the reason I'm going with that is because Dallas showed that there's a blueprint for attacking the Jacksonville defense from the slot. Uh, The big question is whether or not Houston has kind of the running game and the offensive line necessary to, you know, hold off the linebackers and and draw their attention away from QT running underneath. Um, But that's why it's a bold prediction. We we don't really know. I'm kind of grasping at straws here, but I think there's potential for him to have a really big week in week seven. Um, so with the bold predictions out of the way, Anthony, what else are you looking forward to on the upcoming slate? Yeah, my favorite matchup to watch is going to be the Saints-Baltimore team uh, team matchup because I do think it is strength versus strength. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, looking at a, a couple of other spots here, um, I think there is a lot of opportunities for some quarterbacks to uh, sort of push themselves forward. Um, you know, I do think, you know, Patrick Mahomes coming off a loss and getting the Bengals, uh, in another primetime game, I think that is pedal to the metal, uh, for them. Uh, you know, Mitch Trubisky, if he could get something done against this Patriots team, and even if it's a loss, if he plays similar to how Mahomes played last week, that's going to be a big stepping stone for the, the Bears offense going forward. Uh, and another matchup I really want to see is this Eagles team versus the Carolina Panthers because that that's just something it, it is two pretty good teams 
Um, and, and they seem to always play tight games when they play each other. Um, and, and watching Cam versus Carson Wentz provides some highlights. Great minds think alike, Anthony. I have three items listed here. The first is uh, New England versus Chicago, with you know specific emphasis on Tom Brady versus the Chicago defense. Uh, my second one is New Orleans against Baltimore, with uh, both both sides of the ball there. But I am interested to see how Breeze does against uh, that Ravens defense. And my third one is Carolina at Philly. I want to know which Carolina team is going to show up, which version of Cam Newton, and that offense are we going to get? Uh, are we going to get a defense that can? in any way slow down Carson Wentz we already talked about how we think he's coming around yeah man those are all three really really interesting and exciting matchups to look forward to the way the NFL is going this season like maybe only one of them will turn out to be a good game but but that could be enough right yeah yeah uh, <laughs> it's been weird and high scoring and I, I like it the uh, the NFL seems more efficient than ever and a lot of teams are catching up to that um so it's been fun to watch yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to Week 7. Um, Anthony, thanks a lot for joining me on the show. Listeners, you can follow him on Twitter at Pyrostag. Check out his work over at Pyromaniac.com. You got anything you want to plug before we get out of here? I did just take about 10,000 words and a week worth of writing, uh, focusing on team previews for all the NFC teams. Uh, you know, eventually I'll get to the AFC, but... 16 team previews was enough for a week. So I might take a week off and put my foot <laughs> up or something. <laughs> Very cool. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So listeners go ahead and check that out. Uh, if you want to send any questions to me or to the show, uh, I'm on Twitter at Greg sauce. The site is on Twitter at two QBs. Uh, you spell that out all with letters. It's T W O Q B S. Our email address is spelled the same way. Two QBs at gmail.com. And otherwise, thanks a lot for listening. We'll catch you next time. Adios. Adios.